everyone. Welcome back to Leaving It at His Feet Every Day L-I-F-E podcast. I know it's been a while. Um, I needed to take some time for myself to be poured into and to um, just get into his word and drink in his word for myself because as we all know, it's hard to pour out when you haven't been putting anything in and we all kind of run dry at times in our life. You know, we, we get so busy and we get so, uh, our lives get so crazy that before we realize it, um, we just haven't been poured into as much as we need to. And we're just pouring out what little bit that we have. <clears throat> so I have been spending some time to do that. And I've got a lot of new material to share with you guys. But today I want to talk about a topic that has always been very near and dear to my heart. For any of you that have followed me for a while, you probably already know what it's going to be. But I want to talk about the all-important topic of prayer. Not just prayer in general, though. A specific type of prayer. I want to talk about prayer as a warrior. I want to talk about persistent, powerful prayer. You know, we hear the term prayer warriors all the time, but have you ever really stopped and thought about that term and what it means and what it should look like? You know, we very casually term that people are, are prayer warriors or that we're a prayer warrior or um, we have our list of prayer warriors, our go-to prayer warriors. That's a very casually tossed about word. In today's world and generally we just take it that that means that that person prays that we can count on them to pray for us but what kind of prayer are they praying when I think about a prayer warrior and what this term should mean and look like is a person who's literally <clears throat> going to battle on their knees because that's exactly what we are doing. We are fighting a battle every single day. We may not always see it going on around us, or we may not recognize it for what it is, but we are fighting a battle every second of every day. And when we go into prayer, that's what it should look like. What it should look like, we are fighting a battle. That is why the term prayer warrior exists, is because you are fighting through prayer. It is your most powerful weapon. You've heard me say it a thousand times. It is your most powerful weapon. And you should be using it. But you should be using it to fight. So today I wanted to talk about two prayer warriors. Now I chose a more recent one that I thought most everyone would recognize. Um, and perhaps be able to relate to. And then I chose a not-so-recent one from Biblical Days, just to show how long this particular strategy of prayer has been around and testament to the fact that it does work. So I want to start off first with our most recent one. I would venture to say that just about everyone has seen the movie War Room. I've said it many, many times over. If you have not seen the movie War Room, you've got to go see the movie War Room. Or not go see it, but get it, rent it, stream it, whatever. 
the movie War Room. <clears throat> you will not be disappointed, I assure you. It's an amazing movie. But one of the main characters of the movie is Miss Cora. Okay? Miss Cora was a true blue prayer warrior. Like, on fire, battling, on her knees, prayer warrior. Okay? So, the question is, you know, when you watch this movie and you see the results of what Miss Cora does, you wonder why... Why did her war plan work? Because that's what she had. She had a war room. Many of you have probably heard me talk about my war room. I even have a video out there um, that gives a tour of my war room. <clears throat> and yes, it was inspired by Miss Cora's war room. Um, my walls, for any of you who've watched my videos, you've seen my prayers and my notes all over my walls. <clears throat> those prayers and notes on Miss Cora's wall, they were her strategy plan. You know, she talked about the fact, you know, her husband had been in the military. And, you know, in the military, they have a war room. And that is where they get together and they plan their strategy for the battle that they're about to go into. You don't just go into a battle... Just by the seat of your pants, you know. Just, oh, I'll figure it out as I go along. Uh, that wouldn't work very well. You go into battle with a strategy. You have everything planned out and advanced. And when you are going into prayer, you are going into a battle. And you should have a strategy. So the first thing is that she recognized it as war. Since she recognized it as war, she planned a strategy. She knew the enemy, and she used the most powerful weapon available, God's Word. She went into God's Word, and she found out everything that His Word had to say about the particular topic that she was wanting to pray about, the particular battle that she or someone else was battling. And she used those words as her strategy in prayer. She focused on others, is another big part, intercessory prayer. It wasn't a wish list of wants. When Miss Cora prayed, she didn't go to him with her Christmas list of all of the things that she wanted him to give her, or all the things she wanted him to do for her, or all of the things that she wanted him to fix. No, she was interceding for other people. She was fighting in battle for others and it was passionate and it was fervent and it was full of faith in what he could and would do and that's important too we'll get more on that later but <clears throat> not just what he could do but what he would do and for those of you who have watched the movie I can't be the only one who in the very last scene of the movie when Miss Cora goes into her prayer room and she prays that prayer, you get chills every single time. The passion and fervency that just comes out of her when she prays, we should all sound like that. That's what a prayer warrior sounds like. You should be able to hear it in your voice and just feel it. It should give you chills. <clears throat> 
passion and fervency is important when you're battling, especially when you're battling on a brother or sister's behalf. You don't want to be casual and blasé about it. You don't want to just mumble a few words in passing. They're worth more than that. When you ask someone to pray for you, how do you want them to be battling for you? Just a, a quick, oh Lord, help them. Give them what they need. Father, bless them. Or do you want them to sound like Miss Cora? Do you want them beating down the gates of heaven for you? Do you want them slaying demons with God's word for you? Do you want them interceding to him to stop any and all fiery darts that are being thrown towards you? Do you want them to be praying passionately and with fervor or just casually as they're falling asleep? Very dispassionately and disinterested. It makes a difference. It really truly does. Miss Cora, we talked about this a while ago, she had walls covered in these papers and some of them were her strategies. Some of them were things that she wanted to be reminded of, but a lot of them were the answered prayers. She actually would take pictures of the people that she prayed for and she would have what she was praying for. And when those prayers were answered, notice I said when, not if, when those prayers were answered, she documented that too. And she had a whole wall of answered prayers. Can you imagine looking at an entire wall of all of the prayers being answered, seeing that. You know, a lot of people, unfortunately, they struggle with faith. They say seeing is believing. Well, that is seeing. You can make a wall of seeing, and it builds your faith tremendously, which I think is an incredible part of your prayer life, is having that faith of what he will do not just what he can do but what he will do it is so important that you believe that he will do what you're praying for building your faith is crucial to that documenting when he answers your prayers and putting them where they will remind you of that every single day that is a huge faith builder, particularly if you put it in the room where you're going to be praying. I have a list here of some verses that I wrote out. I did it a long time ago to be a reminder to me about some important facts to keep in mind when it comes to your prayer life. These are verses and quotes that I found always, that I always needed to be reminded of. First one is, we ought to pray and not to faint. Luke 18.1 In other words, don't get under your circumstances. Don't just give up and, and let it fall over the top of you. You need to pray. 
You're a warrior. You need to go to battle and you need to pray. He told us to be persistent in our prayer life. Don't throw in the towel. God is faithful. If it is according to his will, it will be done in his timing, the best timing. So you keep on praying. When you pray, believe that you will receive what you are praying for. That's Mark eleven twenty four. This is key, guys. <clears throat> when you pray, believe that you will receive what you are praying for. Now, see, that one is answered in James 1, 7. If you don't pray in faith, that means believing you're going to receive it. If you don't pray in faith, don't expect your prayers to be answered. It's right there in black and white. Look it up. James chapter 1, verse 7. If you don't pray in faith, don't expect your prayers to be answered. God wants to answer your prayers. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He says to ask and keep asking. To seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. And the door will be opened to you. And finally, a quote from Jane, excuse me, from George Muller. Don't let yesterday's seemingly unanswered prayers stop you from praying in faith today. I'm going to repeat that. Don't let yesterday's seemingly unanswered prayers stop you from praying in faith today. Now there's two reasons <clears throat> that I bring these things up when I'm talking about being a prayer warrior. One is, I wanted to demonstrate to you, there's no such thing as unanswered prayer. Sometimes he could be saying no, because maybe it's not according to his will. Maybe it's not according to his plan. And we have to adjust accordingly. Sometimes it's a wait, because it's not the right timing. It's not his timing. And we all know that his timing is best, because he can see what's ahead, and we cannot. Sometimes we just have to keep praying. We have to be persistent in our prayer. It's a battle. Not all battles are fought and won in a day. Most are not. Sometimes battles can go on for days, weeks, but often months and years. And if we were in the middle of a battle, would we would just decide after a day or two, when things didn't go the way that we expected them to, then, oh, I give up, I just quit. No, we wouldn't do that. Because in a war-type battle, we're fighting for our lives, are we not? So we think it's ridiculous to think that we would do that. But <laughs> in battle and prayer, you're still very much fighting for your life. Or for our friends. You're fighting for the most important part of your life, your spiritual life. You don't give up because after a day or two, what you were praying for didn't happen or it didn't look the way that you wanted to because it didn't come fast enough. No, you need to be persistent. Be persistent. Ask him. Seek him. 
Do you need to adjust your way of thinking? Do you need to align your time frame or your wishes with him? Ask him to show you his plan. But keep fighting. Keep fighting. <clears throat> and that's where I want to go to our second prayer warrior that I want to talk about. We've talked about Miss Cora. She's very recent, very current time. And she had her method, her strategy of prayer. Now, <clears throat> I want to go to someone from a long time ago. Now, before I go into this, I want to talk about the word pursuit. You know, this particular prayer that I'm talking about, I'm talking about a prayer and persistent pursuit. So what does pursuit mean? Pursuit is an effort to secure or obtain. And that's important because through prayer, you are trying to secure or obtain something. But this is where we often go wrong. Most people think that we are trying to secure or obtain something that we're going to him like I said with a Christmas wish list or a list of honeydews um, or demands or whatever else that, that we're, that's what we're trying to secure or obtain and if that is how you're going to prayer to him then it's no wonder that you're not receiving the answers that you are looking for because that is absolutely not what you should be trying to secure or obtain in prayer. That is not what prayer was designed for. <clears throat> You're trying to secure or obtain a relationship with God. You're trying to secure or obtain a relationship with God, with your Father, with Him, an intimate one-on-one -on -one relationship. Prayer is conversation with him. And you are going to your father in the midst of a battle. And you're fighting. And you're going to him trying to engage his help in this battle. He who is all-knowledgeable. He who can see What's down the road? He who knows all the players involved. He who knows all the time frames. You're trying to go to him. To engage him in the battle with you. To fight. You're asking him for the best battle plan. For the best strategy. You're asking him to be your general. That's how you should be going to him. We love to pursue God when it's convenient, when we see answers right away, and they are what we expect or what we want. But what about when God is silent? We start off eagerly in our prayers, right? And then we have to wait. And then life gets in the way, and we just quit. Or we give up and we try to do things ourselves, right? We try to do things ourselves. Or we try to go to someone else who we think might could help us. They might have the answer. We keep trying to fix it 
without him because we have this picture in our mind of what it's supposed to look like and what the outcome is supposed to be. And because he's not jumping right on it or he's not doing it in the time frame that we feel like or the way that we think it should look like or the outcome is not what we wanted it to be, that that just means that he's not listening. He's not answering. And so we need to take it and fix it ourselves, right? Because we can do a better job than him. Ridiculous to think of, right? But that's exactly what we do. But as the saying goes, don't put a period where God put a comma. What does that mean? That means that when he's telling you to wait, it's not the right time. Don't throw in the towel and stop and call it quits. Don't stop pursuing him and his plan. Don't throw on the brakes and give up. Don't throw on the brakes and turn to someone else or try to make a plan on your own. Don't put a period where he put a comma. Prayer is a daily decision to communicate with God. Okay, heavy emphasis there, but it's a daily decision. It's something that you have to decide that you want. And you have to intentionally choose to do. Daily decision and heavy emphasis on communicate. Not go to him with a wish list, but communicate with him. To commune with him. Don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment and keep it. Don't give up just because you don't see answers right away or it doesn't look the way you thought it should. Don't get discouraged and think maybe it has something to do with you. You need to declare his name over the battle that you are fighting. You need to trust in him, not man, not yourself, not Joe Blow down the road, him. Trust in him because no one can do a better job of fighting your battles than him. He's already won. You just have to trust that. You need to throw the name of Jesus at every circumstance. There is power in his name. Sometimes the things that we are facing seem impossible. They seem so huge. They're so frightening. But you have to have confidence that he's bigger. And nothing scares him. Nothing can compare to him. Sometimes it's something we're facing. Sometimes it's something that a friend or a family member or a loved one is facing. And we want so badly to help them. But it's just impossible for us. But you know what? That's exactly the type battles that he's amazing at. He's amazing at doing the impossible. And so you go to him and you engage him in that battle for you or for your friend, your spouse, your children, your loved ones. But I want to talk about exactly that kind of battle right now 
I want to go to Second Chronicles chapter 20. I want to talk about Jehoshaphat. Okay, a lot of people talk about Jehoshaphat, but I want to talk about Jehoshaphat. So let's look at chapter 20. It says, It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar. Now, I'm probably butchering these words, so I apologize, but I'm doing my best. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to see the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against the great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, and their children, stood before the Lord. Okay, so I want to stop right there and talk about a few things. Okay, first off, first thing that strikes me about this is, okay, they've come to Jehoshaphat and they've told him, you have three major armies coming at you on all sides. You're surrounded. He didn't just have one major weapon army coming at him. He had three major armies coming at him. At the same time. Okay? So you want to talk about something huge, something impossible, something that you absolutely cannot handle on your own. Imagine having three of those issues at the same time. Okay? So, most of us, upon hearing a situation like this, we would completely freak out. We'd have a meltdown, right? But no, what did Jehoshaphat do? key here, very key. The first thing he did, not the last thing, the first thing he did was go to prayer. The first thing that he did was seek God. The very first thing. Now, with us, how often have you heard the phrase, 
tried everything else. There's nothing else I can do but pray. There's nothing left to do but pray. What does that imply? It implies that we've tried to do things ourselves first. We've tried to enlist the help of other men first. And when we failed, then we thought about God as a last resort. A last resort. He should always be our first. That should be the first thing we do in every situation is go to him and seek him first. That's what Jehoshaphat did, okay? So, we tend to let it be the last thing we do, or we wait for other people to pray for us. Or, like I said, it's like um, a last choice. You know, I've always heard, and I completely agree, that prayer can be a steering wheel, or it can be a spare tire. I like to make it my steering wheel. We need to get anchored into the word and remind ourselves and God about his promises. Note that when Jehoshaphat was praying, that he was reminding God of all he had done, of all he had said, and all he had promised. Now, it's not like God forgot it or anything. It's just that there's power in his words. And it's a reminder to us. It's a faith builder to us. It's something you see commonly in David's prayers. We can't be aware of these promises, though. And use the power in these words unless we're in his word. So that we can know these promises. So that we can know the inheritance that we have access to. That's exactly what Jehoshaphat was doing here. He was claiming this inheritance that they had, that God had given them, the protection that he had promised them. You have to know God, not know of him. You have to know him. Jehoshaphat clearly knew God. He had a one-on-one relationship with him. You can clearly hear his faith and how powerful God is what he's capable of, what he'd done, and what he would do. By the mere fact that that's his first choice and that he did not freak out and fall apart and cut off and run, you know, which a lot of people would have done, that tells you the confidence that he had. So Jehoshaphat said, and I quote again from the scripture, it said, He knew he was powerless, and he didn't know what to do. Now, that's often the case that we find ourselves in. But too often, we do not go to him first and say, Hey, (laughs) I am completely powerless in this situation. I am helpless. I have no idea what to do, God, so I'm coming to you. No, we try to figure it out first, right? And if we can't figure it out, we start going to every time Dick, Harry, Jane, and Sally we can find and see if they can figure it out, right? And then we might even all get together and brainstorm to see if all of us can figure it out. And then, then we might pull out that spare tire and go to God, right? But no, first thing he did was go to him and said he was powerless. He didn't know what to do. 
So they all stood in humility together with their families. And I thought that was very important. It wasn't just the men standing there. It wasn't just the warriors, the soldiers that were standing there. It was all of the people with their families. I thought that was really important because the pedal is not just over you. It's not over just one person. Your battle involves your spouse. It affects your spouse. It affects your families. In fact, uh, excuse me, affects your children. Anyone who's close to you, anyone who is in your life, the battles that you fight are going to affect them too. And don't think for a second that the enemy isn't going to target the very people who you are close to, the people who you love the most, or even use them to fight battles. Your battles don't just affect you. So I thought it was really, really pointed here when I noticed that it wasn't just the soldiers there. Why? Because these armies coming, they weren't just coming for the soldiers. This war to be fought, it wasn't going to just affect the king and his soldiers. It was going to affect everybody. So their spouses, their children, their families, they were all there. Standing in humility before God and praying. <clears throat> so let's carry on with the story. We pick it up at 14 and it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, nor dismayed, because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah. And you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon. Moab, and Mount Seir, 
who came against Judah. And they were defeated. For the people of Ammon, Moab, excuse me, and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And there were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Okay, and I'm going to stop there. So here we go, okay? Jehoshaphat has gone in prayer to God first. He is seeking. Seeking him. He's admitted that he is completely helpless in this situation. He's powerless. There's nothing he can do on his own. Everyone that can be affected by this war is there. And they are there in humility and reverence to God as seeking his help. And he's telling them, look, you just rest. You be still. This battle is not yours. This battle is mine. And he's already won the battle. Is that not the case with us most of the time? When we find ourselves in a situation, in a particular battle, where we know there is absolutely nothing we can do, then guess what? That battle is not yours. It wasn't meant for you to fight. If it was meant for you to fight, then you'd be equipped to fight it. But if you're not equipped to fight it, then it's not your battle. You take it to him. You let it go. You put it in the hands of the one who's supposed to fight it and who is capable of fighting it. Better yet, he's already won. What we fail to realize and remember often is that he's usually already at work on it. We've probably been getting in the way more often than not. But he's usually already at work on it. He's already provided all that needs to be done. The battle's already won. We just got to get out of the way, and we have to trust him on that. So the next thing I see is a clear battle plan. You know, we talked earlier about Miss Cora's strategy, okay? This was Jehoshaphat's battle plan, one that I found very worthy. Okay, first, first thing he did, he prayed, okay? Very first thing, you got a battle. You've got armies coming at you. Okay? You see war coming, and there's nothing you can do. You go to prayer first and foremost, every single time. Second thing, believe. We can clearly tell from Jehoshaphat's prayer that he absolutely believed in what God could do. And not only what he could do, but what he would do. Once again, sounding familiar like Miss Cora's plan? He believed that God would fight this battle and that he would win, that he would save his people, that he would keep the promises that he made. So, number one, pray. Number two, believe. Number three, oh, I loved this. I love this so much because this is such evidence of faith. Such evidence of the belief that he had. 
<laughs> did he send out soldiers ready to fight? Nope. He sent people out singing in praise. That's what he did. He sent out people singing in praise before the battle had even begun. Before he knew what would happen. Why? Because he didn't need to see it to believe it. He had faith that God would do what he said he would do. He had faith that their salvation was already won. He had faith that this battle was already over. And so he sent people out to sing in praise and thanksgiving to God for what he already knew God was going to do. That is something that we absolutely need to be doing. We need to go to him first. We need to believe that he not only can do something, but he will. That he will fight this battle. That he will win this battle. And then we need to already praise him and thank him for it before we ever see it. Why? Because that's evidence of our faith. And what he can and will do. And then <clears throat> we see that not only did he win the battle for them, but he provided an abundance of blessing for them from this battle that they didn't have to fight because he took care of it for them. Thing is, is we don't need to fight. We just need to stand strong. Our fight isn't a physical fight. Our fight is a spiritual one. Our fight doesn't need to be with other people. Our fight needs to be on our knees. And our fight needs to be with our God. But we have to have a strategy. We have to have a plan. We have to have passion. We have to have fervor. We have to actually engage in this battle. This battle, not the worldly one, not the physical one, the spiritual one, because it's those spiritual battles that are going to win those earthly ones. With God on your side, there's no doubt about that. We have to believe that to our very core in our souls, we need to believe that and we need to demonstrate that. And that is what a true prayer warrior looks like. That is what wins battles. So I encourage you to work up some strategies of your own. I encourage you to have a wall to remind you of all the battles that have been won in your prayer life. And I encourage you to get on your knees and fervently fight those spiritual battles for yourself and your loved ones. I encourage you to praise him in advance for your strong belief. You know what he's going to do for you. I encourage you to believe it with all your heart. 
And then I encourage you to record those victories as reminders to you and to others of how he always answers and he always comes through. And usually, just as we learn with Jehoshaphat, he always goes above and beyond. He doesn't just do what you ask. He always adds a little more. I encourage you to record that too. That's all I have for you guys today. I hope that there was something in this that was a blessing to you. And I hope that you all have a wonderful rest of the week. God bless you all. Bye.